You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And as always, before we get into this week's great interview, I've got to give it up for our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. MailChimp has also recently announced MailChimp Pro, which is this powerful set of new tools for MailChimp that include multivariate testing, delivery insights, compliance insights, as well as comparative reports. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. You need a new domain for your next project? Then check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. They also have this really cool new feature that's called Hover Connect that allows you to automatically connect any of your Hover domains to popular services like Tumblr, Shopify, and Squarespace. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code ROAD to 100 and save 10% off your purchase. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Here's our weekly Patreon fundraising campaign update. So right now we're still holding steady at 19 patrons right now for a combined total of $150 per month. Again, a huge thanks to all of you that have already pledged your support and appreciation for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 per month. And now for this week's interview, I talked with Junan Alkins. Junan is the founder of Everything Slight Pepper and ESP Junior. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, well, my name is Janan Alkins. I am a design director, creative director, and I like to use the word storyteller, based in the Caribbean in Trinidad and Tobago. I run a company called Everything Slight Pepper, which has two sides to it. On one side, we design for clients, projects ranging from publications to branding to packaging, anything that anybody brings to us that they're really passionate about that they want a visual identity for. On the other side, we produce a children's brand that is concerned with telling Caribbean stories. All the products are Caribbean-themed and designed for children, children globally, where we hope to entertain and simultaneously educate. All right, let's go back to the the first part of of everything, Slight Pepper. First of all, how did you kind of start the business? Like, I know where the name comes from because I'm familiar with the Trinidadian food. But for the people that are listening, kind of talk to us a little bit about the name as well. Okay, sure. I used to work at the publishing company. And I went off on my own, started freelancing. And jobs became a little more than I can handle. So I had teamed up with a friend of mine who also left the agency she was working at. And at that time, I was looking for a name that was 
standard English, so it could appeal to international audiences or be understood by international audiences, but still had a story to show our rich colloquial um, background. So everything side pepper is a slang term that is used to describe how you order doubles. Doubles is a chickpea sandwich, which is enjoyed, it's street food, enjoyed as breakfast, sometimes as dinner. It's one of those things that we're really proud of and everybody has a favorite. And when foreigners come to the country, inevitably one of the things you have to experience is a doubles. Everything side pepper is how one of the ways that's popular, how to order it with everything, which is all the condiments, the sauces, the chutneys, the slight indicating the level of pepper, which is just a dash, and while pepper is the heat. So everything side pepper means that everything we do has just a dash of heat. So you, you say you kind of started out in the in the publishing industry. Where did you kind of get your start with that? Did you do that after you graduated college? After I studied in UE Mona, which is in Jamaica, I said media and communications with a multimedia specialization. After that, when I came back to Trinidad, I got an offer to join a publishing company called Tutpagai Publishing. They produce macro magazines, which is one of the premier, if not the premier magazine coming out of the Caribbean. It's a luxury travel, architecture, lifestyle magazine featuring fabulous homes, destinations, food, luxuries from the Caribbean. And that's where I really got my feet grounded into, into publication design. Previous to that, I had interned or worked for short stints in corporate communications and marketing. What do you think about, I guess, the magazine industry now or more publications just kind of going strictly digital or is it in there in the Caribbean? Does it still kind of have a good circulation? We, we are a microcosm of what's happening in the world. Yes, there's a big move to digital, but as I'm a print fanatic, so I will always argue on the side of print that there is the tangible qualities of print can't be replaced by digital. Uh, while I do agree that digitization is the more practical approach to updating the dynamics of having content that can sync across different media in embedding sound and well because of my multimedia background I could see all the possibilities the tangibility of print especially for the young audiences I work with with the kids is irreplaceable because having a child sit on your lap to read a book to them it's a way different experience than having a child sit on your lap and going through an iPad and for me, print experiences, disposable print may be on its way out. So magazines that don't pay attention to the quality of the stock, the layouts, the feel, the smell, um, the textures. That type of disposable print is quickly dying, which is why newspapers, are, it, the medium doesn't match the message. Newspapers need to be current. It can't be updated in print. However, a book a well-put-together, thoughtfully-designed, thoughtfully-developed book can't be replaced by a digital copy. I agree with that 100%, 100%. So talking more about, I guess, children's stuff, because you mentioned that everything Sly Pepper also has this kind of children's brand that goes with it. Where did you get the idea to do that? Was that something that you always wanted to do once you started everything Sly Pepper? When I, I mean, I started Everything Side Pepper as a reaction to work that was coming to me for other people's projects. 
mm-hmm. one of the projects, one of my early, early projects was a storybook for Marshall Montano called Boy Boy and the Magic Drum. And it really piqued my interest because when I joined the project, they had the copy and the illustrations already done and believed that they were almost ready to reach the end of the, the print project, but they weren't happy with the output. And I almost had to prove myself in terms of what the role of a graphic designer and what layout and develop any typography for storytelling could add in terms of value. And there was doubt before I started working on a project and then after everybody was blown away by the difference between just laying out an image on text below versus what I came in and did and added colored backgrounds, added intonation in the type so you would guide a parent how to read, when to raise their voice, when to lower their voice. And that excited me. So I started thinking, I looked around on the shelves, having little cousins now enter into my life, looked around on the shelves here. And I'm a graphic designer. I like to give well-designed gifts fun gifts as well and I didn't really see the types of things that I'll be proud to gift so I started working on some things in the background and then I was approached by a photographer friend of mine who is also an environmental activist and they were very concerned with raising the get raising awareness about the leatherback turtle population in in the Caribbean and getting a law passed to ban the hunting of turtles which was I wouldn't say it's legal, but it was done. So I was working on some stuff for them, some invitations for a fundraiser they were having, and at the same time drawing stuff for my kids' idea. And then I started to draw the leatherback turtle. And I worked on the motif that is currently on the T-shirt screen print design. And I kind of tried to work it for them. They weren't really interested. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just do it and do my part to try and raise awareness about the topic as well. And I launched the leatherback turtle design on T-shirts. So it's a screen printed garment line. I mean, it includes T-shirts, onesies, vests, just really simple, basic garments using the turtle print. And that was my jump off point. It was met to really great response so it kind of tested my idea and I was like okay so other people are interested in what I'm interested in so I kind of worked from there to the stories that I had in my head I've started releasing bit by bit I also started working on a cartoon at that point again telling the story of the Caribbean our exotic animals environment culture using children as my audience because I really wanted to start young and hopefully we grow into adults who appreciate the Caribbean. I took a look at the website and I mean there's a lot that's going on in the brand. I mean there's there's publishing stuff, there's apparel, and there's also like a cartoon series that you're working on too. Can you talk about that? Yes, the cartoon series is called Bim and Bam. Um, well the adventure series. It's a TV series that I've scripted. Well, my team has scripted. It's a full series, an adventure series for children set in the Caribbean. So you have the two kids. They are twins. And they are on vacation with their parents to the Caribbean. And they are going around the islands, going to all the different sites, engaging with the animals, 
They have a whole imaginary rule that happens while they are visiting places with their parents. They talk to broods. They, in their heads, go on escapades, adventures, um, saving the family from these elaborate plots, all going on unbeknownst to their parents. But it's a way of incorporating fun and at the same time teaching about the local flora. What's been the feedback so far from ESP Junior? Well, the feedback has been really, really positive. The brand as a whole has a following locally, even though, it, I mean, our population is small, so in comparison to the U.S., it's still small. I am, I've grown in the last year regionally. We were picked up by Sandals Hotel Chain, and I'm making a move to next year, try to enter the U.S. markets via trade shows, and... Well, with regard to the cartoon, the cartoon has had favorable responses. We're still in pre-production phases, so developing a story Bible concept art. We're currently working on a teaser trailer that kind of gives an overview of the series because we're hoping to pitch for co-production at a conference next year. And so far, the response to the series has been very positive. We picked up an award that allowed funding for the script development, and yeah, that, I mean, we're in the thick of right now producing the next step to hopefully allow us to, to pitch. Nice. Congratulations on the award. Thank you. Speaking of that, because I, I did sort of want to venture into a little bit about awards, there's a couple of people that I've had on the show where we've discussed awards, mainly, you know, creative awards, mm-hmm. and I see that, you know, a lot of the work that you've done through everything Slight Pepper has been award-winning. Mm-hmm. Now, for those people out there who might be skeptical about entering awards competitions, like I judge a couple of awards competitions for like web design, mobile design, etc. And it's always difficult to get or I found it's been difficult to get designers, particularly designers of color, to enter these competitions. What have been the benefits for you of winning awards like that? Well, firstly, I would add to not just being of color being a challenge or a word, um, how the word has escaped me, being daunting or intimidating to actually enter is not just not seeing anybody like me in these functions, as well as you also, as a small business, believe that these things are big agency because also of the cost. But I will say it really, really helped gain exposure even if it's client work, so it's not necessarily my productions, it just brought attention to the company and the brand as a whole. And not that I'm necessarily looking for validation of the work, but it, the fact that it brought attention to the children's project for me really helps because that's where I've invested a lot of energy. So the awards do help with validating what you've done. That makes sense. I mean, and also, I guess, in the sense of the the cartoon series, it also helps you get some money. That award was a, a local idea competition. We're, you know, we're an oil-based economy, and there's a lot of effort being made to diversify the economy. The award not, not, did not necessarily affect that because that was a blind independence. You just you submitted an idea, and the idea just stands on its own. It does not really... They don't even know who submits the idea. There's no connection to what you do in terms of execution of the idea. So that one was a little bit different. But I will say also with the book, because one of the products I launched in November last year, 
was the follow-up to the turtle t-shirts was the story of the turtle, which I would have probably launched first, but your cost is always a factor. So I wrote and illustrated the tale of the nesting habits of the turtles. So I ended up launching it after the t-shirts. But that again, I now need to take that step and enter it in some competitions to build the resume because I'm not an author and awards help fast track that. Do you think that it's been pretty easy for you to kind of get work as a smaller studio? Like what's the creative community like in Trinidad? What's that like? There are challenges. Being a small studio, I have a portfolio of work. I've only ever focused really on doing great work. And word of mouth on an island is golden. So if you do good work, that person tends to recommend you to somewhere else and somewhere else and it goes forth. That's basically how the business has run for the last five years, which is which can happen on an island because we have less rules and less hierarchy. So people will take a chance and work with an independent, I think, over big cities where, of course, the challenges go right back to scale in terms of what would happen in advertising industries is the bigger contracts, the ad for big advertising, the big name brands are not going to work with an independent. They will always go through a big agency, a big name agency, or one that has a media share company attached to it. So we will never get to really work on those kinds of projects. So in terms of the design community specifically, there's the, the main, I would call it mainstream, mainstream advertising agency structure in Trinidad. And then there's a lot of independents like myself. Some are freelancers who bounce from independent to independent or the focus studios like myself where, I mean, I manage projects as well where we work on smaller, and I use the word smaller in terms of mass audiences, but not necessarily in terms of small projects, but more niche-focused type of projects that are branding, development, product launches, that type of thing. How do you choose your clients? I know you say you kind of work on more niche projects, but how do you choose your clients and what type of clients kind of work best with the philosophy of everything Slight Pepper? I like to work best with clients that are passionate, mm-hmm. passionate people and passionate, pro- passionate projects. I don't particularly, it doesn't matter to me what it is you're doing, so long as you're passionate about it and you have a reason, a purpose behind why you're doing what you're doing. Even if your purpose is that you want to be a billionaire, but you want to do it in a sustainable way, or if your purpose is that you want to make the best honey outside, best honey packaging outside there, or you want to take Caribbean flavors to the rural, so you want me to package your line of sources. Once you're really passionate about your project, then we're able to work because a passionate entrepreneur on the other side or a passionate project lead on the other side helps me to get to the why you're doing what you're doing. And once I can get that why, it's pretty much easier sailing to put that into visual and put that into messaging because then we have a premise for what you want to do different. That's the ideal client for me. So kind of walk me through what a typical day is like for you because it sounds like you're working on and and really juggling a lot of different tasks. Typical day, I can't really remember what is typical right now because (laughs) (laughs) everything is all right now is a particularly different 
type of workday than what I would normally be accustomed to. But then if I really think about it, every month is different. So right now, my typical day starts with emails, checking on the social media pages of BIM and BAM, ESP Junior, Everything Side Pepper, making sure I try to post something or get on my intern to post something, checking on my client projects, making sure we're keeping clients happy and we're on schedule with work. Then I'm involved right now at training, entrepreneurial training program, which is in Freeport, which I guess I'll have to say is about an hour away. So I have that. So I'm between Freeport and my studio. I'm also in a mentorship program with the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival. So I have meetups for that and then things to produce for that. And then I'm always working on the kids. Any free time, any time in between, more time than I probably should dedicate is always on a kid's project. But that's where my heart is. I'm always coming up with new things. I, I just think I don't have any kids of my own, but I think I'm the funnest auntie there is. So <laughs> I connect with kids, particularly between four and seven. They all love me because I just play with them like if I'm on their level. And I think that's what helps me see educational stuff differently because I just think what's the difference between a storybook and a textbook? Well, here our, our education system is really archaic. Our textbooks are so dull, almost deliberately unengaging or disengaging. And a storybook and games and even if you go to multimedia and your online gaming and, and the stuff kids watch, the, the TV shows, everything, they're so fun. And if you just took educational stuff and made it fun, then I wouldn't feel like you wouldn't be feeling tortured to learn. So that's where I see the connections and that's where everything I'm doing with the kids stems from, just making boring stuff fun. I think I strayed, but um, yeah, the kids is, kids takes up a lot of the time. The kids' projects take up a lot of my day because any moment I have in between, I am looking at international trends, also redefining our products, working on new stuff. I've been phasing the release of products because our market is so small, but with the goal of entering U.S. markets, Next year, I definitely need to start putting out more things. So I'm constantly working on that. What do you think the challenge is going to be really for entering the U.S. markets with what you're doing? Scale. How do I scale up? Is mm -hmm. uh, We have our manufacturing sector is pretty dormant. That is going to be a challenge. So production, meeting, demand. Um, I mean, I, I always speak in the cloud. So meeting the exorbitant demand that is obviously going to come in once I enter will be a challenge because we are a small island. Logistics of shipping, if I am based out of Trinidad, is going to be a challenge as well because we're so far south. I know right now to ship a T-shirt to a U.S., uh, to safely ship a T-shirt to a U.S. desk client or customer almost costs you the same amount in shipping as it does the garment. Oh, wow. Which is not ideal. So Because we, we are the furthest South Island of the Caribbean archipelago. So mm -hmm. it's not really the best position for accessing the rest of the world. Whereas, like, you know, out of Miami is kind of a center point on the globe. 
you can at least reach Europe, you can reach across the states, that kind of thing. So they'll have that advantage. So I will have to work on that. How do I scale up and not be exorbitant? You know, how do I remain competitive? I think that'll be one of my challenges. And the second will obviously be, I have to focus heavily on education. Education about what I'm doing, because it's exotic concept, exotic characters. I don't know how many people are really familiar with Caribbean characters and Caribbean stories. So we have a lot of explaining to do. Well, you know, I'll say in big cities here, particularly, you know, big cities that have black populations, there are a fair amount of people that are are pretty well versed with things that go on in the Caribbean. I think it's mm-hmm. probably mostly through food, through events like carnival, things like that. Yeah. But I, I mean, like I went to school here in Atlanta and I went to Morehouse and I would say that freshman year, there were students here from St. Lucia, from Trinidad, from Jamaica, and like they brought all of their sort of cultural mores and things like that. So that's how I ended up learning about, you know, things in the Caribbean. So I think that here, I mean, we've got in, you know, big city pockets, I think you could certainly end up finding that audience or that audience would end up finding you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know the diaspora would be my Everybody will understand and spread the message. We're very proud of ourselves. And we have such rich... So each island has such rich stories that we speak about it all the time. We're, we're proud, loud people. people. <laughs> Especially, well, you know, Jamaicans. But I'm not, I didn't say that. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but no, we're, we're proud people. But there's so many nuances between the islands. And um, it'll be interesting if I'm able to unify it. Because we are, we're a bunch of islands. And even though we're so tiny and everybody would probably just lump us all together, there's so many different, even if you look at things and what we name the same thing across the islands, it varies. So we'd have big fights about name of a fruit because on one island they call it Chanet and on another island they call it Aki and another island they call it Guinness. But it's the same fruit. So, you know, for the rest of the world, they're like, it's the same fruit. <laughs> We're particular <laughs> about things. So I think the nuances of the Caribbean itself can be interesting to an external audience. And that's one of my challenges. How do I convey that? And this is kind of an interesting question here. So what would you say kind of embodies a Caribbean design aesthetic? And, and the reason that I'm asking this is because that's something that I talk about with people a lot. Like, what is an American design aesthetic? What is a black design aesthetic? Things like that. Because usually when, at least here in the U.S., when people are studying design and things like that, a lot of the curriculum and the influences and things end up coming from Europe. And so we hear about like, you know, well, this is the Swiss design and yeah. German design and French design and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, I think ostensibly also you hear about what does Indian design look like? What does Asian design look like? But then when you look at, say, Africa or the Caribbean or something like that, the aesthetic, at least what I think ends up being the aesthetic, gets distilled down into these very, you know, kind of stereotypical types of roles. Like some people may look at the Caribbean and only think that it's beaches and carnival or something like that. but. What would you say kind of embodies the Caribbean design aesthetic? And is it different from what, I guess, a Trinidadian design aesthetic might be? Mm -hmm. That's a really, really difficult question. I think it has to do with how we were colonized. It's one Mm -hmm. contributing factor. Trinidad especially is very, very multicultural. The percentage is wrong. But let's say the population, the majority, is split between black, which would be 
African black with roots coming from slavery and then the other half well the other majority's half being Indian from indentureship roots and then the balance of population is split up between mixed people which is any combination of everything and well French Creole we have what I don't even know what is considered white here. We have very different gradations of ethnicity, how we refer to ethnicity in Trinidad. But what it has led to, aside from black versus white versus Indian conversations, is led to this. We have a hybrid perspective of what is Trinidadian. You know, is it... Roti is something that's traditionally an Indian thing, but everybody here enjoys it. Pilau is a dish here. I don't even. I would think it's Creole into African roots, but everybody enjoys it. So we we're not segregated in terms, definitely not in terms of our stomachs and what we eat. <laughs> so where it leads to the aesthetic, it's confusing because different segments of the population will have different things to say we don't have a unified Caribbean aesthetic. And we don't even have a unified Trinidadian aesthetic. If I have to break it down into my two worlds, from the client advertising side, that's a really hard question to answer because I think colonialism also puts a mindset into the people that we are not creators, we are imitators. So slaves imitated slave masters. Anything that that is produced is an imitation of a foreign concept. So it's not really our aesthetic just yet. The design industry, the independent design industry is changing some of those things. But to say that we have a rule, a paradigm, no. We don't have anything just yet. It's, it's quite confusing in terms of... I know like I can picture what Swiss design will look like. You can't really do that for the Caribbean. But on the other side... There are keywords that I would say on, on the children's side, because I believe children, the children's world for me and my brand, it allows me to capture more of the true Caribbean aesthetic. The loudness is the first thing I would say, color and loud. And it's loud in, in terms of telling our stories, in terms of how we dress. In terms of our mannerisms, Caribbean people speak loud. So the aesthetic trance is multimedia, loud experience. Our music is loud. Our food is spicy. Our birds seem brighter than everybody else as well, like Brazil. But yeah, but I think color would be something central to the Caribbean aesthetic. Vibrancy. We're not Swiss. We're not Danish design where it's clean and minimalist. That is a hard word. (laughs) To introduce right. to a Caribbean person, <laughs> um, a hard word. But I mean, even so, there's a movement of adopting African as part of our aesthetic. And I disagree mm-hmm. with it because uh, to me, again, it's not creating our own adaptation of it. We have African roots, we have Indian roots, we have Syrian, we have Syrian Lebanese, we have Chinese, we have everything. And I think our aesthetic should be a hybrid. I like that part that you mentioned about kind of the, how colonialism may have installed this feeling or this culture of imitation. That's something that I've read about that. Sylvia Harris, the late Sylvia Harris had written something. This was in a book called the education of the graphic designer. And she wrote this essay that's called searching for a, I think it was a black design aesthetic or an African-American design aesthetic. I can't recall off the top of my head, but she mentioned that kind of, you know, students now they get into this habit or, 
or students slash designers get into this habit of just imitating what they see and not really kind of just creating from themselves or even creating from a cultural base that might mirror where they're from. They just kind of see what someone else is doing or what they've been taught based on a European design style as opposed to really kind of bringing it back to something that's a little bit more authentic and traditional to the designer themselves. That, that is so, so true. And I think that's that's why I named my company Everything Side Pepper in the beginning because I wanted to have roots here. The standard English thing was me because everything Side Pepper are three English words. I'm not using colloquial. I'm not using slang. That the standard is international. But what I mean is that I think a lot of the sophisticated design that's coming out of the Caribbean is very Eurocentric, which goes right back to colonial days. And we look to who colonized us, you know, as the, they are the civilized. It's an undercurrent in your brain and your way of thinking. And in imitating European design, yes, the design is sophisticated, but it's not necessarily contextually appropriate, which is why it'll never work on a mass audience. Right. It's just interesting to figure out what is our aesthetic. It's a big conversation here amongst the independent designers. I wouldn't really say the advertising agencies get too involved in the conversations because if you're working for big brands, you're pretty much working under an aesthetic that's developed outside of the Caribbean. You're executing a brand guide, campaigns that have been pre-decided from outside, not developed hair so you know you you have the manual and you know exactly what you're doing but for the things that are developed here and the conversation is only now starting for that because you go to manufacturing sector and you go right back to the same questions that we don't make hair everything was imported into hair so we don't really make the decision in terms of how it looks from the get-go we just using stuff that was already brought into here. So it all gets mixed up into which parts of other cultures we imitate in because we think that's what sophisticated design looks like. How do we make it our own? It's all very interesting. And, you know, like you mentioned before, because Trinidad is such a mix of cultures and ethnicities and things like that, the aesthetic may just end up reflecting that, that it is a hybrid of so many different influences with maybe just a slight, a slight pepper. I don't know, like a slight (laughs) twist to it. So I, I mean, that is very personal. I mean, that's my personal opinion because. I am a hybrid, so because my parents are both so muddled on each side ethnicities, because we don't have white or black alone here and how we refer to people's ethnicity, I can blend in in an Indian crowd, I can blend in anywhere. And so for me, I have a very hybrid view, but I think overall, we need to, especially Trinidad, because living in Jamaica gives you a different perspective. Having studied and lived in Jamaica, they're so Jamaican. You know a Jamaican. <laughs> you know a Jamaican always. And they're so proud to be Jamaican. That's something I really loved about them. I love Jamaican culture because they have an aesthetic, I think, Jamaica themselves. Mm-hmm. It kind of dominates the whole Caribbean. And yes, yeah, some people don't like it for that because... Jamaicans kind of take over. But we Trinidadians don't have that one thing about us that would define us yet. That is true. You know a Jamaican anywhere. Oh, they'll make sure you know. Oh, they'll make sure you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. 
who have been some of your mentors? Like who's kept you kind of motivated and inspired? Cause it sounds like you're doing just so much stuff. I'll go first to my parents. They are really, really grounded. They're entrepreneurs themselves. So I never really thought about entrepreneurship. I, I stumbled into it, but I guess the roots were there from the beginning because the first place I ever worked was as a child working in my parents' company. Seeing them test and fail and try again and try again. And eventually now the business that they have is over 20 years old. Wow. And they're still going at it. And I can only say now they look like they've been able to enjoy life a little bit more. But I guess my entrepreneurial roots are are really coming from them in that regard. And then their groundedness as well, because my parents are very cultural, especially my mother. She is a musician. She is very into our culture and getting involved. She's not afraid of trying things. She's not afraid of learning new things and exploring and just appreciating culture and food and everything. You know, you try everything once. And I have that spirit in me. I mean, and it's not just the Caribbean, it's the world. Anytime I travel, I want to go to the local market and, and try street food. I'm not afraid of those things. And I think that has helped me in business a lot because I'm not afraid to try and fail. That's an important entrepreneurial quality. I think to um, find success, you have to try. You can't be afraid to try. So my parents are my first mentors and they still are. They're very involved in my day-to-day. I've run every, everything by them and they still help me. They're my support system. Um, I also had mentors in every company I've worked in pretty much my bosses have always taken to me hopefully I think (laughs) but you know and when I was in corporate communications at um, Guardian Life of the Caribbean here my boss at the time Maria she pushed me and gave me the opportunity to work on things to mess up to make mistakes to learn I think my bosses have always allowed me to make mistakes and to try and to do things that I knew nothing about. And I learned a lot by mistakes. (laughs) And they still remain part of, I mean, I know I can message any of them today and ask for help or ask for advice or just bounce ideas off of people. So I, I have a lot of people in my life who believe in what I'm doing or believe in me and my passion for what I'm doing. What advice would you give to someone that's kind of just starting out with design, with, with entrepreneurship? I really like what you said earlier about kind of not being afraid to try and fail, but is there anything else that you would tell someone that's just kind of starting out? From a designer, I would definitely say focus on producing great work. Even if it's not, this may be bad advice, other people might think, but I definitely know this is what I did. I focused on building an incredible portfolio, really giving each client great, great work and by producing great work, you attract more good work because you you have a solid portfolio. When I say where other people may object, I mean, even if it goes over budget on your side and you have to sacrifice, it's developmental costs. And if you focus on producing really great work, even if you have to exceed the client's expectations, exceed your brief, exceed what you're supposed to be, amount of hours you're supposed to be putting in, do it. I did because I really wanted to make it be about the quality of my work 
so that at the end of the day, they would be so believing that I was doing it for their best interests, that I became part of their team in their heads, that they would recommend me. And then that person becomes an ambassador for you, for everybody they speak to. And and, and that person they recommend becomes your ambassador and it spreads that way. But I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do work you'll be proud of. Do work. There's some work you do that you're not necessarily the proudest of. Don't include that in your portfolio at all. Do not at all. But always focus on the, the quality work that you do and try to make, as a designer for clients, I think, I definitely try to make each product or each project very different aesthetic from the next. You don't want to get typecast that you do the same thing for every designer because then if everything looks the same, then nothing stands out, which defeats the whole purpose of having a visual strategy if everything is just going to blend into one. And don't compromise equality. If you weren't doing design, what do you think you would be working on? (laughs) in green I would probably be on another aspect of design I mean if I wasn't doing graphic design I think I would probably be doing some other sort of craft based design you know I'm dying to have the time to be able to do all the short courses I want to do I want to learn to do tie-dye I want to learn to do wire bending I want to learn to make puppets I think I would always be in a design based field it's just, you know, whether the computer is your tool or whether your hands are your tool or whether a scissors is your tool. I would pretty much be in design. And the only other thing is travel. I incorporate travel into anything I do. Well, speaking of travel, if there's anywhere else in the world that you would want to live and work, where would it be? Hmm. I would think Swiss. Um, the places that you said I have a defined aesthetic. I would probably want to immerse myself in that to understand how they got to where they are or how they maintain where they are. You know, how come there are no Swiss designers that just comes out and says, hey, I want to be really loud or I want to really change your traditional or, you know, how I would like to see and also see how it's executed, not to see how it's executed in terms of everything from governmental planning to infrastructure, how those rules are implemented, I would, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that would be very interesting for me. Other than that, I would probably choose anywhere, any rule. I, anywhere I could immerse myself that has a rich culture. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? It's, it's 2020. What are you working on? What are you doing? Well, in 2020, I would have sold my, well, I would have found a co-producer for my animation series, Bim and Bam. And it will be streaming. The first season will be streaming on Netflix or Amazon Studios or on TV or National Geographic Kids or Discovery Channel. And I'll be working on follow-up seasons. I'll also be producing my children's brand and distributing it globally. I'll have the design studio that decided does client work will, I think, pretty much be the same scale or just marginally bigger, because I believe in a small team, and I believe I want to work towards being able to really able to really handpick the projects that I want to work on. And hopefully those projects will not only be limited to local, passionate entrepreneurs. Anybody, any, any real with a passion for whatever they're doing can work with us. I would still like the studio to be small. 
All right. So just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and your work online? We have a website. Everything's Like Pepper is www.everythingslikepepper.com. And the children's brand, ESPJR, has a dedicated website as well, which is www.espjrisland.com, www.espjuniorisland.com. We're also on social media. The kids' brand is very active. And their handle on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest is at ESPJR Island. The studio is at ESP Studio. Right. Sounds good. Well, Junan Alkins, thank you so much for taking time out of your day for doing this interview. I know right before we recorded, there was a little bit of a power outage. So thank you for adjusting with all of that. And I really, really liked a lot of what you had to say about not just what the creative community in Trinidad is like, but the things that you mentioned about the Caribbean design aesthetic, I think are are super important just for people here in the U.S. to know because the U.S. is such a, a mix of cultures and stuff too. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see how I think design kind of permeates around all of that. But outside of that, I mean, everything that you're doing with everything Sly Pepper, with the children's brand, the apparel, the animated series, I'm really excited to see how you're going to come into the market here. So thank you again so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I mean, I love to talk about my work. So when you reached out to me, I was very excited. And I'm really honored that, you know, you thought I was worthy of talking to. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Junan Alkins and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Junan and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover's the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code ROAD to 100 at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com and pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else that you like, make sure to use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.